Well, have you ever noticed that different regions seem to have uh, different natural disasters? Here in Minnesota, we struggle with tornadoes during, you know, pretty much spring, summer, and even early early uh, fall. And then we might have a, a blizzard. If you're in Florida, you're worried about hurricanes. If you're in Texas or Louisiana, you might be worried about flash floods. And if you're in California, you might worry about, that's right, wildfires. No, you're right. Wildfires are a part of it, but earthquakes as well. But let me tell you, when you again, when you think about earthquakes, you think about California, right? But, you know, there are other places in the world where seismic activity happens a lot, and one of them is Italy. And this summer, um, there are a couple medieval uh, towns in central Italy called uh, Atrimace and Acomole. And these places in August suffered 6.2 earthquakes. It killed 290 people. Now, again, like I said, these are, are towns that have kind of remained how they were built in the, in the medieval times. And so you would just kind of go, well, you know, if that's the construction, it makes sense that there was such destruction. But here's the problem. Is that because they had had some seismic problems, they had, the government had made a major investment in helping upgrade the seismic structure and uh, resistance of these towns. And so what happened here? A bell tower fell on a family of four right next door to them. A school that had been upgraded in 2012 was completely demolished. What happened? What this earthquake revealed is the upgrades were nothing but a facade. As they looked through the rubble, the materials that were supposed to be there and the workmanship that had been done was shoddy. It, was, it wasn't there. And everyone in that town suffered because of that. The upgrades were not made. Similarly, God is building a building in his people, in his church. And it is built on the everlasting foundation, the rock of our salvation that we just sang about. But the quality of workmanship and the materials that are used will be tested to show if that building indeed will last. And that's what we're talking about today as we look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you might want to put your finger there as we get ready to look into that. But let's pray before we before we dive into God's word today. Jesus, indeed, we are grateful as we've sung, you are the rock that does not move. And we pray now as we look into your word that you would give us the grace to be building lives that are focused on your foundation and who you are in your word. So open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Help us to respond to you spirit and in truth and help us Lord um, if we need to change, if we need to repent give us grace to do that if we need to continue and persevere help us to do that as well so we commit this time to you and ask you to be glorified in your people in your church it's in Jesus name I pray Amen well if you've been through with us in this series to uh, the, the Corinthians we see that Paul is trying to reground this 
Corinthian church again in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of him. And they have veered off course. They've been enamored by human wisdom, looking to human leaders, which is causing division among them. And the leaders themselves that they're aligning themselves behind, Paul and Apollos, they're not divided. But they have different roles. But again, as Paul has been very uh, kind of direct with these, these Corinthians, calling them babies in, in essence, being very immature, he sheds light on what God's servants are doing. So if we were in chapter 3 last week, in verse 5, he talks about who are Paul, Apollos and Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe. These are the tools whom God used to you know, bring the gospel to them. And then he enters in this kind of metaphor, this agrarian metaphor of God's field. In verse 6, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Again, the focus shouldn't be on the servants, the one who planted, the one who waters, but on God who gives the growth. Second of all, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. These servants, again, they're on the same team, same purpose, to help these new believers follow Jesus Christ. And then, and they will be rewarded according to his own labor. There's a promise of reward for the quality of their work. And in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, a privilege of being involved in God's redemptive purposes. And then, he, again, he gets to verse 9 and says, for you are God's field. There's the metaphor. You are God's field. You're God's possession. But then he changes metaphors. He doesn't mix metaphors. He doesn't say something like, you know, don't count your chickens till the iron's hot. No, he changes metaphors. He goes to one of God's field, to God's building. And what he's doing is he's giving words of advice for church leaders who would be building on God's building. Again, this is not a physical building. But the corporate faith and lives and interaction of God's people through faith in Jesus Christ and among them. So here's where we pick up Paul's argument in verse 10 in chapter 3. He says, by, by the grace God has given me, I laid a, found, a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using silver, costly stones, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet be saved, even, even though only as one escaping through flames. Do, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You know, there's an old adage in building or making plans. It is start with the beginning in mind. Start with the beginning in mind. If God is constructing a building, 
then the purpose of God's building is God's dwelling. The purpose of God's building is God's dwelling. Verse 16 again. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Throughout history, God has desired to dwell with men and women who are made in his creation. The very beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, God dwells with the man and the woman in the garden. He walks with them. Sin enters the picture. So there's a, there's a rift there. Later on, God seeks to dwell with his people, the Israelites, as he has Moses and the people of Israel build a tabernacle. And eventually, it, it manifests itself in God's, in Solomon's temple that is built in Jerusalem. But God's intent, he revealed it in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. He says, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. But again, there are some problems here. Problem number one is the increasing sin and disobedience of God's people before a holy God. And number two, and I think we all know this, that an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God cannot be contained in a building. It just can't happen. In fact, Solomon, as he builds the temple and he finishes it, this is what he says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. But continuing on about how God wants to dwell with his people. God in the person of Jesus Christ puts on flesh. And he comes and dwells among us. It says in John chapter 1 verse 14. He is full of grace and full of truth. And he comes to deal with our sin problem. As he lives a life of perfect obedience before his heavenly Father, and then willingly offers up himself to pay sin's price. And those of us who will put our faith in him will be justified before a holy God and be his people. And not only that, he causes his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Back to chapter 2, two verse 12. It says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So at the end here, God is not dwelling in a building. He is dwelling in the souls of His people who put their faith in Him. And for these Corinthians to first hear this, again, it must have been mind-blowing. You know, their, their view of what a God does is He dwells in a temple. No, He comes to dwell within you. In your heart. And it should be, I think, an awesome thought for us as well. The God of the universe, for those of us who believe, comes to make his dwelling in us. Have you ever noticed there's a greater sense of God's presence and spirit when we come together than when we are alone? I think that's because what he says in verse 17. You together are that temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within his people. But that temple is not for common everyday use. No. For God's temple is sacred. It is holy, as he says in verse 17. That is set apart. As Paul earlier said in chapter 1, verse 2, that Jesus Christ has sanctified and made them holy. 
that is having moral purity before a holy God and set apart for his purposes. So there are two things going on there. There's the position of what Jesus has accomplished. But then there's the practice of saying, now I've been set apart to be a dwelling place of the, of the living God. Here's the problem with the Corinthians. That may be true of them. They are indeed, as they put their faith in Jesus Christ, in position holy before God. But in their practice, they're acting like the world around them. Rather than those who say, no, I've got the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling within me. So Paul wants to get back to reminding them of their foundation. This is what he says in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, there is only one foundation that this building can be built on. Again, look at Paul's opening words in verse 10. He says, by the grace God has given me. Paul would come and he would plant this church in Corinth. And he would do so by God's grace. Reminded of the grace that he received in his first encounter with the living Jesus Christ. As an enemy of the cross, Jesus apprehends him, reveals himself to him, and turns him back around and repurposes him as a messenger of his grace, of his gospel, of his good news. So he comes to the Corinthians and he says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Literally a wise architect. The Greek word is, is exactly what we use today. Arche, master, technon, builder. Master builder. A wise master builder. And he's using God's true wisdom, focusing in not on knowledge, but the person. The person of Jesus Christ who was crucified. See, the church's foundation is not built upon a lot of biblical knowledge. The church's foundation is not built upon a code of ethics that we need to adhere to. The foundation of the church is not a bunch of spiritual rituals we need to focus on. No, it is indeed the humble reliance and realization that you and I cannot please a holy God. We come before him with nothing. But Jesus, Jesus can come and please God and did by living a pleasing life completely sinless, and by offering himself up. And as we put our faith in him, we stand with him. We are united with him. That is our hope. That is why we, we talk about the rock of our salvation. It's what he has done. Indeed, Paul said this earlier in chapter 1, verse 30. He says, it is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He is the foundation. He is the hope. He is the one who took our place. And we stand with him. And the truth is, there is no other foundation. There's no other foundation you can put in there. Not of being good, 
not having enough wisdom or what have you. It is only in Jesus Christ. Again, he says in verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter will say something similar in Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 12. He says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind in which, which we must be saved. All other foundations fail because they are founded in human wisdom, human strength, and human ability, and they fail. There is no other foundation. In San Francisco, this building was built in 2009. It's called the Millennium Tower. It's a beautiful building. It's a luxury building. Cost millions of dollars just to have a two-bedroom apartment there. And, you know, if you look at the, the view and things, it, some people may think it's worth it. This place is supposedly the building that has the most concrete reinforcement at its foundation. It's 58 stories. But you know what? Since it's been built in 2009, it's sunk into the ground 16 inches. It's tilting five inches to the northwest. Again, people think that it's it's founded on something substantial. But the truth of the matter is, the concrete pilings that go down 80 feet are still in sand. The bedrock is 200 feet below that. This building is not built on the solid rock. I'm just saying it's going to be an interesting story to see how the lawsuits play out. Because they're already happening. Again, I want to ask you, is your foundation on the solid rock? That of Jesus' grace and what He has done for you. Not what you can do for yourself. Because He will never fail, he did not fail, and he will not fail, because he is God in the flesh, our Savior. But also, use of wisdom in building on that foundation has to be used as well. Continuing on in the second half of verse 10, it says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. The nature of this foundation in Jesus Christ is one that is doing God's will, one that is based on his wisdom that pleases him and has God's purposes and values in mind. Again, it's based on what Jesus has done. So Paul is now warning those in the Corinthian church not to build upon that foundation with materials that are contrary to the foundation. Paul's not addressing so much what Paulus and Paul did, but what the local leaders were doing in seeking to build, really, the church there on worldly wisdom, on worldly resources, rather than God's wisdom. You know, sometimes I look around and, and I tell you, I want to be careful in, in not being too critical about what's happening in the Christian world, but sometimes I wonder about 
methods of, of modern evangelism, which I feel like sometimes are based on marketing, kind of, you know, making a lot of Jesus products and Jesus jewelry and stuff like that, and, and thinking that that is going to be effective, or even what I call the creation of the Christian celebrity. We, we want to find somebody who's cool, who's gifted, maybe an athlete or, or an artist, and point to that person. And all of our faith is built upon their ability and their, you know, strength, their human strength, rather than on the strength of, of Jesus in them. Which sometimes means I have to admit my weakness in order to let Jesus be strong in me. In fact, you know, as we've read earlier, God oftentimes is more involved in using the foolish things of the world to shame the things that are wise, using the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I think we're going about things wrong. We want to use human strength to propagate the gospel. I'm not saying if, if God gives you a, a platform, you ought not use it. But I think we put way too much confidence in that type of thing. I think if we were much more willing just to go next to our neighbors, tell them about Jesus, and then try and live that faith out before them, that would be much more effective than trying to point to a, a Christian celebrity who looks cool. The metaphor that Paul uses in this building is using materials of gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw. And they are in kind of a descending order of cost. And I think Paul was kind of thinking back to the imagery of, of how the Solomonic Temple was built. Yeah, they used those materials. Gold was involved, silver, costly stones that were cut out for this thing, and even wood, cedar, the best wood from, from Lebanon. You can read about that in 1 Kings 6 and 7 and uh, 1 Chronicles 22. But these precious materials were used to reflect the majesty of God. You know, you're not going to build a, a thatched hut ceiling for what's supposed to contain the holy God. You know, it was it was gold. It was cedar, you know, covering covered with gold and silver and, and these costly stones that they brought in. They had specially quarried and brought in. It was an amazing building. But it was again to reflect God's majesty. And things like hay and stubble, they, they just weren't appropriate. The best you'd use those for is to you know, if there's animal dung on the floor, you throw that out to kind of sweep it up. That wasn't that wasn't what this building was supposed to be built for. But more importantly than the cost of each of these materials is how did it stand up in the midst of fire when it was tested? And so the quality of the building materials will be tested. Verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. The day that Paul is, re is referring to is the day of the return of Jesus Christ. He talks about that in chapter 1, verse 8. And it will be a day when all hearts will be revealed. All motives, 
true or false will be revealed, as he'll talk about in chapter 4, verse 5. And all will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul talks about that. All will have to give an account for what they've done in this life, good or bad. And that which is good will be rewarded. That which is bad, selfish, shoddy, will be burned up. Here's my fear oftentimes in the church. Is that many things that are said and done in Jesus' name, that they look good from the outside and even appear godly. In truth, they're based on earthly wisdom. So I fear for preachers and teachers who preach a message of the abundant life in the sense of this. That this is going to be your best life now. Jesus will say, no, take up your cross and follow me. Lose your life for me and my sake and the gospel and you'll save. I fear for those who say, you are God's kids. You're God's royalty. Therefore, you should own a Cadillac and a Mercedes. You should have all life's best. Where Jesus will say, sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. I fear for those who say, you have to learn to love yourself before you can learn to love others. But God's word says, no, we love because He first loved us. Because He's given us value in sending His Son and shown us how to love. See, earthly wisdom is so often bound in self. It's bound in earthly gain. And it will be revealed. And it will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. But that which is gold, silver, and costly stones, those things will be the things that are in alignment with that true foundation, in alignment with Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. They'll be in alignment with His gospel. They'll be in alignment with His word and how we live it out. Those are the things that are gold, silver, and costly stones. Now, Jesus Himself would... would kind of give a similar metaphor as he talked about those who would build their house upon the rock and those who would build their house upon the sand in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 and 27. He's going to say, you know what? Those who hear my word and act on it, who believe it in obedience, their house is going to be built on the rock. And when the test comes, when the flood comes, it will last. But those who hear my word and don't obey, who don't respond to it, who don't act on it, it's like a man building his house on the sand. And when the flood comes, it will be wiped out. It will not last. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, I want to say that I think in context, he's not talking about loss of salvation. In verse 15, he says this, If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. But he is talking about eternal consequences. He is talking about eternal loss. And what you've invested your life in will all be 
burned up. And although this, you know, Paul's specifically addressing, I think, church leaders at Corinth, I think there's a message here for all of us. God started to build a building in which he wants to dwell. Again, its foundation is Jesus. What he has done and that he never changes. He has given us his Holy Spirit who he intends for it to dwell in us. And now he allows us to build on that foundation. He allows us to build on that foundation in the process and how we live our lives. How amazing if we let him have his way and do in us what we cannot do ourselves. By faith, let him do in us as we take him at his word and trust him. But also how tragic if we don't align ourselves with our foundation, with Jesus Christ. But we build our trust on human wisdom, human resources, and we enter eternity finding that all we've invested our life in is built up and we end up smelling like smoke. What a tragedy. Again, Jesus is that foundation. The question is, what are we building upon that foundation? And his intent, again, is that we would be his temple, the place where he dwells by his Holy Spirit. Let me just kind of give you a fast forward, because history is going somewhere, because he intends to dwell in us now, and even more so into eternity. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Indeed, he wants to dwell in us. We started now. What kind of temple are we going to build? Let me pray for us. Lord, we are challenged by this word. And uh, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we are investing in wood, hay, and stubble at times. Would you give us grace to be discerning? Would you grace give us grace to be wise? As Paul said, he was a wise master builder. Let us build our lives in alignment with the foundation of Jesus Christ. His work upon the cross, His resurrection, and the life which He now lives in us through His Holy Spirit. So we're grateful, Lord, that You have redeemed us. You've included us in Your redemptive work. Help us, Lord, to live lives accordingly. Live lives that are in alignment with you, Lord Jesus. That your Holy Spirit may dwell within us. And he might not be grieved. He might not be quenched. And that he might be pleased to dwell in each one of us. Lord Jesus, this is your precious name I pray this. Amen.